Thank you. I do. I'm all mic'd up and ready to go. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad y'all are here tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. My roadie right there. What's your name again? Regina? Regina the roadie. Yes. Thank you, Regina. Y'all, I'm so grateful that you're here tonight. I agree. It is. It was so cold. We're just such wimps in Texas, aren't we? Golly, I was like, this is like the Arctic. This is what the, what is it called? The thing that was happening? Yes, that's what we're experiencing, isn't it? Just because it dropped below 50. I'm like, good grief, freezing. So I'm so grateful that you're here tonight and so grateful for Lauren and her group. I mean, how precious to have young, the young people leading us in worship. Oh, I'm so old. It's sad. It's sad. But anyway, I really am thrilled that you're here. When Julie called or when she approached us about um, me coming to speak, she and I exchanged some text messages and emails, and then we talked some more on the phone about the theme and what God was leading us to do. And, and she said, what about if we come up with the um, theme of simple courage or just real simple, simple courage? And so as I've been studying this week, Jennifer really did it, said it best, is that what really is simple anymore? I started to really dive in and I was like, Lord, there is nothing that feels simple in my life. And you know, there's a reason Marie Kondo is sweeping the nation. Have y'all watched that on Netflix, Tidying Up? Have y'all watched that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is this precious, adorable woman from Japan that can't speak English and she weighs about 50 pounds. She is tiny and she's a beast though. She will come in your house and she tidies it up. She doesn't do it. She tells you how to do it. And she has you bring every article of clothing that you own and put them in a pile in the middle of your floor. And you are to literally pick one up at a time and look at it and ask yourself if it sparks joy in you. And if it does, then you can keep it. And if it doesn't, then you are to thank it for all that it's done in your life and then bid it farewell. <laughs> so my husband and I just moved into a house two months ago. We had been repairing a house. We, we did not flood when Harvey came, we, uh, but we sold our, our non-flooded house to purchase a house that had flooded because we're bright people. And so we had been repairing this house and we moved in to months ago. And as we moved in, it was like, this is the time because we had to live with my sister for three months. Yeah, I know. And everything was in a storage unit. And I said, we're not even, I don't even want to take anything out of that storage unit, but let's just take a few things over. We're going to purge and we're going to tidy up. We are going to simplify our lives. And that just hadn't happened. It just really hasn't. I mean, some things are simpler, but really not. I mean, I still have 1,400 pairs of jeans, and they're hanging in my closet. And I think, does this one spark joy? Yeah, it really does. It sparks a lot of joy, Marie. And so I'm keeping it. And I thought, though, that as we moved in, I thought, this is the time that we're going to simplify in our lives. When we move into this house, we're going to simplify everything. And the reality is, is I have a few less cooking utensils. Maybe I do. But here's the thing, I don't cook anyway. And so it doesn't matter. So maybe I've simplified that way. But what has come to me like a crashing wave is the reality that life just isn't simple. It just isn't. It isn't simple. And when you read scripture, you never see Jesus say, okay, here are three steps for you to simplify your life. He says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
He's like, in this world, you will have suffering. You are complex creatures. There's just nothing simple. But I think what we try and do, I know I try and do, is I, all of a sudden, when I begin to feel overwhelmed with everything that's happening in my life, I begin to simplify by trying to control it all. And sometimes the way I try and control is just purge things. I just try, get it out, just get it out, get it out. I don't care. And that's why I think Marie Kondo is making a gazillion dollars. Because we're so desperate to simplify. But really what that means is we're desperate for peace. Right? We're desperate for the chaos in our life to calm down. To calm down. There are times Jason, my husband, and I will be talking and he'll be going over his day at work and he's a pastor. And if that's, that's not a simple role to play. And he'll say, you know, well, if we can just get past this conference and then we'll do this. And, and I'm like, honey, we can get past that. But something else is coming right around the corner. Life just doesn't simplify. It really does not. The other night, if, if you're wondering if, if you feel overwhelmed, just think to yourself, what woke me up at three in the morning last night? Or what woke me up at three in the morning the night before? I was thinking that to myself and I thought, I'll tell you, last night I was awakened at about three in the morning. One, because I'm hormonal and I'm, that's just a whole nother topic that we don't even, you don't, you don't have to bear that with me. So my sleep is all messed up. But I wake up and the first thing I start to think about is that I have two kids. One is in junior high and the next will be in junior high next year. And I think they're not ready. I don't think they're grounded enough, Lord. I don't know that we've done enough to parent them well. I don't know that they're secure enough, they're secure enough in who they are. I just start going through all of this in my mind and I think, it's just not simple. And then I think, okay, what, what else? You know, just jump from one thing to the next. But last night it happened to be my children. Now they're doing great. There's no reason for me to be alarmed. But for whatever reason, at 3 a.m. in the morning, everything is alarming. Everything is alarming. So I say all that to you tonight because I recognize that as you cleared your calendar to come tonight, I just wonder what you walked in with, what you came in carrying on your shoulders. What is it in your life that is creating a life that's not simple? What, is there anything chaotic in your life right now? Is there any area in your life that you feel out of control? Is there any area in your life where you think this is bigger than me? This is bigger than me. If you are, I'm so grateful that you're here tonight. I'm so, so grateful that you're here. I was thinking through as I was studying this week for this retreat, and it dawned on me, the Lord brought this to my mind, that 20 years ago, in 1999, to the day, I went on a retreat this exact same weekend. And I remember, I was thinking through that, and I'll never forget it, because I was not in ministry yet. I was working in the corporate world, and when I got to this, it was a retreat in Amarillo, Texas. My brother lived there at the time, and he had invited me to come with his church, and it was a women's retreat. And I remember when I arrived there, I was so tired, and I was just spent. I was somewhat weary, uh, felt really dry spiritually. And I get off of the plane, and he drops me off at the church, and these sweet women, this, these West Texas women came and grabbed my bags, and they're helping me, and, I, and I'm thinking, I don't know anybody here. I have very little in common. What, what, Lord, what am I doing here? And she took me to my room, and on the door was this verse, and I want to read it to you because 
as the Lord brought this to me, I just thought this might be something you relate to. In Ezekiel 36, 26, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to his people, and he's promising them something about the new covenant, a covenant that he's going to make with them that's coming. And this is what it entails. He says, then I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And this is the verse that struck me. In verse 26, it says, and the Lord is speaking. The Lord says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart, and I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and you'll be careful to obey my regulations. Let's go back for one second. I just want to I just believe this is going to resonate. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a a tender, responsive heart. Do any of you feel like you've walked in today and your heart feels hardened and you feel somewhat stony and a little bit stubborn? And maybe you're tired and you're going through the motions And you've got a belief system. You believe. You're not, it's not like your faith is derailing. But you're just somewhat flatlined a little bit. Maybe you're walking in and you're so heavy burdened that it's difficult to connect with God. I don't know, but what I do want you to know is that God sees you tonight. He sees you tonight and he loves you. And he has something to say to you. And so I am trusting for all of us as we jump into the word that God is going to teach us tonight, that he's going to speak to us and he's going to take that heart of ours that's gotten a little bit callous, maybe because it's overladen with fear, maybe because our world is feeling so out of control that we're just in a bit paralyzed. I don't know all of the reasons, but he's going to replace it this weekend with a tender, responsive heart. And so the question for you and for me is not if that's true because God's word tells us it's true. The question is, do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that to be true tonight? We're going to move into a passage of scripture, but I want to pray for us again because I just, I want to set the tone for what we're about to enter into in God's word. And I just want to pray over us as we do that. Lord, we just come to you tonight and I thank you again for bringing us into this place I thank you for all of the women that are here tonight. Lord, I've met maybe three or four of them, and the rest of them I don't know, but you know them all. You've called them by name. Every hair on their head has been counted. You knit them together in their mother's womb, and all the days are ordained for them before one of them has come to be. No one escapes you in this room tonight. Every single one of us are adored by you. And every single one of us is pleasing in your sight. You welcome us into your presence. Your blood bought that privilege for us. And so, Lord, I just ask tonight, would you just remove any distractions? And would you enable us to believe again, to believe and to trust you and to open up our heart to receive a word from you tonight? We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, well, I want to look tonight in 2 Chronicles because we're going to talk tonight and tomorrow, twice tomorrow, about this theme of being real simple. Simple courage tonight, simple clarity tomorrow morning, and simple confidence tomorrow afternoon. And what I'm going to do is walk through one passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 our entire time. And we're going to break it down chunk by chunk, and we're going to let the Lord speak to us through this passage of Scripture. If you're familiar with 2 Chronicles, we find ourselves in chapter 20, and we're looking at a king named Jehoshaphat. Some of you may have read this, you're familiar with it. For others, this may be brand new. But as we jump in, there's a, a quote that I love to share before I start teaching because it helps me get in the mindset. Um, it says this, it says, if scripture is going to be my teacher, then I must put on every story like a robe to be worn. Walking in their shoes, identifying with the characters and feeling with their hearts. If scripture is going to become my teacher, then I must put on every story like a robe to be worn identifying with the characters, walking in their shoes and feeling with their hearts. That has helped me more than anything when I approach the scriptures to stop and realize, wait, jump in here. Identify. Lord, what are you trying to say? Where was this happening? What was going on? What was the context? How do I identify with this character, Lord? What is it you're trying to say to me? And as we do that, I think you'll find that God is going to say something to us. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in verse 1. And we're going to look at a, the first few verses tonight under the theme of what courage looks like in the midst of chaos. So verse 20, chapter 1 says this. It says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Millionites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. So let me give you a little backdrop. After this means this. Jehoshaphat was a king that reigned during the years of 873 to 849 BC. He was the fourth king of Judah. And here's what was significant about Jehoshaphat is that all the kings that preceded him had just kind of derailed in their faith. They had walked away from the Lord. They'd made alliances with other idols, with other kings. And Jehoshaphat was the one that said, you know what, we're going to turn it around. We're going to turn it around and we're going to get rid of these idols. Jehoshaphat had made several mistakes. He had given his son over to uh, be married, had allowed his son to marry King Ahab's daughter. That was a big no-no. They weren't supposed to intermarry. He was not a perfect man. But what Jehoshaphat did that I want to do is when he got off track, he recognized it and he repented and he turned around. And so that's what after this means. Jehoshaphat had just come back from battle, had recognized that he had aligned with King Ahab, should not have done that, had repented, turned around, and was getting rid of all the idols. The reason this is important, because if you're like me, you might fall into the mindset that when I do these good things for you, Lord, then my life should go up and to the right. Right? I mean, listen, I have gotten rid of my idols, Lord. I have purged my closet. I have given things away to the poor. I have worked at the soup kitchen. I have stacked chairs at church. I even teach Sunday school. I have stopped binge watching Netflix. I am totally back. I'm repented, Lord. I am walking with you. Now this should go well for me. So it says, after this, Instead of up and to the right, it says the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Midianites, they came to wage war 
against Jehoshaphat. Verse 2 says, some people came and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already at Hazan Tamar, that is En Gedi, maybe in your scripture says En Gedi. So his advisors have come to him and they've said, here's what's happening. Three armies are waging war against you. And they've not just decided, they not only have decided, but they're on their way. They're on their way. So put yourself in the story. Put it on like a robe to be worn. And imagine in your own life, when is the last time you got news that caught you off guard? When is the last time you felt like there was a war waging against you and you did not see it coming? When is the last time you felt out of control? When is the last time you thought, this might take me under? This is bigger than me. My family is living in a season right now that we happen to be in a pretty mellow season. We're not in a crisis, praise God. And yet there are still times, like I mentioned earlier, that I wake up at three in the morning and it feels like a vast army is coming at me and that army is responsibility. You've got the responsibility to raise these kids and it's all on you to make sure they never experience an insecurity. It's all on you, Laura, to make sure that they always thrive and they always know that they're deeply loved and they walk into that school with confidence and they always do well. It's all on you, Laura. Sometimes I wake up at night and I think it's all on you to know what's the next direction for Yes Ministries. It's all on you. You got to figure it out. Press in so you can figure it out. And that feels like a vast army coming toward me because I don't know. And I fail as a parent. Sometimes I get overwhelmed just trying to figure out how to create some menu that's not dried chicken, right? Some of you are working women and you wake up in the middle of the night and you think the vast army is all the responsibility that you have at your career and your job on top of a family at home. Some of you have wakened up and you've got health issues in your life right now and it is a vast army of chemo coming at you. Some of you are the caregivers and it's a vast army coming at you. Some of you are in a marriage that's hanging on by a thread. It's been disconnected for some time and you think, I don't know if we'll ever get back to good. And, and above that, I don't know how to get back to good. And it feels like a vast army coming at you. If you can relate to that tonight, then you can relate to Jehoshaphat. Some of, this in, some of us in the room have a vast army and it's just something that we struggled with internally. Maybe a habitual addiction or a sin or something that you've battled and you just can't seem to get out of this pattern that you're in. Some of us, the vast army, it's just loneliness. Am I going to turn a corner? Am I going to meet someone? Is this going to change? If you can connect to that tonight, then you can connect to Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat felt like we feel at times and we feel like he felt out of control, and we don't know what to do. And we don't know what to do. And so what I want to look at is in the face of that, what does courage look like? What does courage look like 
and simple courage. We throw the word, word simple in there and you think, well, what does that even look like? Typically for me, courage means an action. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something courageous. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to grab the reins. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to fix them. I'm going to fix dinner. I'm going to fix something. But it's going to be courageous and I'm going to figure it out. Jehoshaphat probably felt that way. Let's look at how he felt. In verse 3, his reaction to this news is this. In my translation, I think this is NIV, it says alarmed, alarmed, which I, that does not do it justice. That is not really a great translation, alarmed. The right translation is terrified. Really, when you translate the Hebrew, it's terrified, terrified. Jehoshaphat was terrified at this news, terrified. It says Jehoshaphat, he says he's terrified, afraid, he's alarmed, but it says Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He was two things. He was afraid and he was resolved. He was afraid and he was resolved. You see, oftentimes we think as good Christian women that fear means that we don't trust God that we don't trust God. And sometimes that can be true, but God does not despise our fear. God does not look at me and go, shame on you for being afraid. God says, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. But he doesn't despise me because I'm frail and because I'm weak and because I experience fear. Fear and resolve can coexist. Fear and resolution to inquire of the Lord can coexist. And oftentimes when I feel out of control, courage in my mind means, okay, I've got to do something. I've got to do something very quickly to make this better or to change this. And Jehoshaphat is our example tonight of what simple courage looks like. He felt his fear. He didn't deny it. But in the midst of his fear, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. My question for you and my question for me tonight is what is the first thing you do when you feel afraid or out of control? What is the first thing that you do? Do you pick up the phone and call that trusted someone? Do you crack open a bottle of something? Do you order the second cheesecake? Do you pull over at Target? What is it that we do when we feel afraid? Where do you run? How do you cope? How do you cope? You see, courage doesn't mean that I white-knuckle it and get through it. Courage doesn't mean that I feel no fear. Courage doesn't mean that I can tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I've got all the steps lined out. I know how it's going to go. Courage, as we see in Jehoshaphat, is he felt the fear. He's human, but he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. Fear and resolve can coexist. And tonight, maybe you just need to have that permission to say, you know what, it's okay, stop beating yourself up. That you feel some emotions that you wish you didn't feel. Anger, fear, resentment, numbness, whatever it is. But tonight I would ask you and I would ask myself, would you resolve to seek the Lord with me this weekend? Would you resolve to seek him? 
And what we'll discover as we walk through these passages together over the course of the weekend is that sometimes my resolve to seek the Lord is really not resolved to seek the Lord. It's resolved to get the Lord. Resolved to get the Lord to do what I need him to do. <clears throat> and that's just another form of control. And that's not what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat didn't say, okay, I'm scared to death. I'm terrified now. Here's my resolve. Y'all watch this. I'm going to pray. God, you got to do this. You got to knock these people out. You got to do this, 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 and this. Okay, let's pray hard for these four things. Put them on your refrigerator, make them your prayer points, and pray hard that God does this, 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 and this. Now, those are not wrong. But have we ever inquired of the Lord? Typically, I'm like, change him, make them straighten up, do this, fix this. Okay, yes, bless it, Lord. Bless my agenda. And really, that doesn't have much to do with inquiry. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. Lord, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? For me, when things get out of control or they get foggy and it's not clear, I have to get really, really still. Really, really still. And so I have to move out of distractions and get super still and just wait. And often, sometimes waiting for me is just taking it one day at a time, keeping my mouth shut, praying, pressing in, listening. My antenna's up, super attentive to what I think he might be doing, but I'm just kind of staying in step with him. I'm resolved to inquire, Lord, what are you doing? Because I don't know. I don't know. He was resolved. And verse 4 says, So the people of Judah came together. Well, it says he, to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And so, see, Jehoshaphat's the king, so he's got all the power. And so, in that moment, this vast army didn't just impact him, but it impacted his people. And so what he did the very next breath after he felt that fear mattered not only in his own life, but for those following him. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me. I've said this many a time is that my legacy with my children hopefully will never be about a great meal that I cooked, although that would be nice. It's just not going to happen in my home. It, it's Hopefully they're going to remember me as somebody that was funny and liked to have fun. But if I could have any legacy, my children would say she sought the Lord. She sought the Lord. She inquired of the Lord. And so that is what uh, Jeho Jehoshaphat is doing. He's not trying to be big and strong in front of his people. He's not trying to say, look, I've got it going on. This is not a big deal. I'm going to let go and let God, you guys. I got this covered. It's okay. Don't you worry about me. All is good. God's good all the time. All the time. God is good. He didn't give into that pressure to perform as a good Christian. You ever felt that pressure? No. He said, Hold on, three armies are coming. We got to fast and we got to pray. We got to inquire of the Lord because this is too big for me and it's too big for you. That's a beautiful legacy to leave is that you are a woman that seeks the Lord. You don't have to have it all together, but do you resolve to seek him? And Jehoshaphat resolved to seek him and he proclaimed a fast and a prayer. When you are in crisis, Man, I would encourage you, if you don't know much about fasting, I would, I would encourage you to learn about fasting. Anytime that I have been up against a wall and really needing the Lord, I will fast. It helps me get really, really still, and I pray. I fast and I pray, and that's what they did. It's a very powerful combination. 
And so in verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and this is what he said. Now, if anything, Jehoshaphat could have said to his people in this moment, he could have said, like I mentioned earlier, don't worry, y'all. Don't get all up in arms. Don't be afraid. This is all going to work out. He didn't feel the pressure to reassure them. He didn't feel the pressure to have it all together. This is what he did. He said, he prayed and he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and you gave it to a, get, and give it to forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Didn't you do that? In verse 8 it says, They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. What is Jehoshaphat doing in that moment? He is recounting God's track record. He is reminding himself and he is reminding his people who they follow. Who they follow. You see, here's the thing. If you've grown up in the South like I have, I've grown up in the Bible Belt, you can throw a rock and hit a church anywhere. And it is not far-fetched for us to have a belief system that is Christianity. That's pretty common for all of us. But in times of crisis, a belief system will not work for us. We must have a relationship with the living God. We must know that he sees us. We must know that he's with us. We must know that he has every hair on our head counted. We must know what his promises are. We must have a track record with him. And that track record is the word of God coupled with the experience of him in your life. It's the word of God coupled with your own personal experience with him. And Jehoshaphat's doing, the, he's recounting that. Are you not the God that said to our ancestors, and he's recount, recounting scripture. And he goes all the way through up until present day. I have a daughter, Beth, and if you've ever been to my Bible studies, and you've probably heard me talk about her because her story is one of the bigger stories in my life of God's involvement in my life and his presence in my life. She was born with a heart malfunction and uh, we were told two weeks into her little life that she was going to have to have open heart surgery, that this was a, a big deal. And it was one of those crises in my life that brought me to my knees. It just buckled me. And when fear came in and swept in, it was really, really tempting for me to go to that place and to get on the internet and start Googling what this heart malfunction meant and all the horror stories that went with it. And it was so tempting for me to go right down that rabbit trail and forget the God that I follow. And mind you, as I go down that rabbit trail of fear, I'm going to be going, help God, help, bless her, fix her, change her. But I was still an anxious mess. And the only thing that shifted my focus and that moved me to a place of courage was when I looked up and I said, wait a second, wait a second, what is true? What is true? 
Well, I'll tell you what's true is that God knit her together in my womb. All the days are ordained before one of them has come to be. God has plans for her that are good plans, not to harm her, but to give her a hope and a future. God loves her. God's plans are bigger for her. And this may be her story, but God is sovereign and God is good. And I'm going to trust you. And I had to look up and focus on what was true. And the truth began to trump my fear. And that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. Because here's the thing. If he stays fixated on the vast armies that are coming toward him, he will buckle. He will crater. And those that are following him will crater right along with him. You don't have to be married in this room tonight. You don't have to have kids that are still under your roof. But there are women and men and children. There are people that are following you. Whether you know it or not, you have spiritual offspring. And what you do after you feel that fear matters a whole lot. And God is not looking at any of us tonight going, okay, what you do next, you better figure it out, Laura. You better follow me. You better pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You better prove to me that you have faith. No, he's saying, you know what? You have to do just exactly what Peter did. When Peter walked out on the water toward Jesus and then all of a sudden the storm came and he started to take his eyes off Jesus and he's looking around and he's getting fearful and he's like, dang, this is really scary. I didn't expect it to be this tumultuous. And he starts to sink. Do you remember what he did? He looked at Jesus. Do you remember what he said? He said, save me. He said, save me. That's all he said was save me. He didn't say, oh, oh gosh, okay, let me figure out how was I walking earlier? Let me get back to that place of walking. Was it, I don't know how it worked, but somehow I've got to figure out how my feet were able to stay atop of the water and let me do that again and figure it out because somehow he must be thinking that I caused that to happen. So let me get back to that. And then he didn't jump over and go, okay, wait a second. Had I just been um, focusing on Jesus a little bit more, so I need to say I'm sorry. If I say I'm sorry about three or four more times, then he's going to believe me and he's going to save me again. He didn't have time to do any of that. He just said, save me. He just said, save me. And that's all God's asking us to do because there's something about looking at Jesus and going, save me, that is worshipful. Why? Because I'm looking to him and I'm saying, you're the only one that can save me. Until then, I'm looking around going, well, maybe I can figure this out. I'm going to do this. Let me call Sandy because she's an expert in this situation. I'm going to do this and let me get this over here. I'll research it over here and I'll get this situated. And we're looking all around us at the same time. The fear is rising. And it's not until we look up and we're back fixed on Jesus and we go, save me. Save me. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. And that's what Jehoshaphat is doing. And when I look up, and I say, save me. And I'm looking him in the eye. I'm reminding myself, you're the only one that can save me. You are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. What is the situation in your life tonight that is threatening to take you under? What is it that causes you to feel like you might be drowning? What is it that's made you feel flatlined? What is it that feels like a battle in your life? What is it? What is that? And where does God fit into that? Would you be willing tonight to have the simple courage to look up and say, you know what, Yahweh, this is who you are. You are sovereign and you are good. 
And are you not the God that carried me out of Texas A&M when I didn't even know how I got into that good university and got me a job when I didn't even know how to make a resume and then got me to Houston and then somehow, somehow led me, me, the messy person that I am, into full-time ministry? Are you not that God that saw to it that I had community when I was desperately lonely here by myself as a single? Oh yeah, you are that God. Are you not that God that led me to a church when I desperately needed a pastor? Oh yeah, you are that God. Are you not that God that led us to the right surgeons when we desperately needed them for Beth? Oh yes, you are that God. Are you that God that met me in that dorm room when I was all by myself and you spoke a word over me? Yes, you are that God. That's what Jehoshaphat is doing is he's reminding himself of the goodness of God and the personal track record of God in his life and in the lives of his people. Courage doesn't mean that you figure out the plan. Courage means that you lift your eyes and you look at the planner, the creator, the one who's got it all figured out. He's the one that's in control. We just look up and say, save me. And that's what Jehoshaphat has done. He looks at God and says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Yes, you are. And you rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations? Oh, yes, you are. That's who you are. Oh, that's right. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, that's right. That's the God that I'm following. We forget. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Oh, yeah, that's right. You did do that. Oh, and they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. That's right. You see what we're going to do? We're going to remember who God is. We're going to remember who the God is that we claim to follow. Y'all, we forget, don't we? I've been in church since I was wee high, and I forget all the time. And I have to remember, oh, wait a second. That's who you are. That's who you are. My husband, Jason, has a gorgeous singing voice. He, it's, he really, he just, he's just the finest. And he doesn't lead worship that much anymore. He does more oversight and stuff. And every now and then he'll sing on Christmas Eve and he sings, Oh Holy Night. And it will really set you free. You'll become a believer again if you get to hear him sing it. But it's interesting because I live with him all the time. All the time I live with him. And every now and then when he'll sing it on Christmas Eve, this, this past Christmas he didn't sing it in our church, but he sang it in a nursing home at 4.30 in the afternoon. And I just look at him with fresh eyes and I'm like, that's who, yeah, oh man, you are cute again, I tell you. <laughs> That's a horrible example. But we have to do that with the Lord. You see, many of us in this room, and I don't know where all of us are spiritually, if you don't even know where you are, we're so glad you're here tonight. But some of us, I got to meet Christy, and she was saying she's been in this church since she was, she was born in this church practically. 
And so she, like me, we've been around Christianity and in church. Thank God, it's been a blessing. But a tendency to happen is you can forget. You can just forget. And when crisis hits, it's more important than ever to remind ourselves, who is it that I follow? I follow the creator of the heavens and the earth. I follow the God that loves me. I follow the God that sent his son to die a bloody, horrific death on the cross so that he could call me by name and I could enter back into fellowship with him. That's who I follow. He's the one that ripped the veil and tore it in two and said, come back to me, child. I've ransomed you. He's the one that has called me by name. He's the one that says, when you walk through the waters, you will not drown. When you walk in the fire, you will not be burned. Why? Because I love you. I've called you by name. I've traded other lives for your life because you're precious to me. Oh, that's who I follow. That's who I follow. Okay, now with that set of glasses on, now let me look at this circumstance. Those armies don't look so big. When I wake up at three in the morning and I'm worried that my junior high kids are not going to be secure enough to handle junior high, I have to stop and say, wait, who's got plans for them that are better than I could ever dream? Oh, God does. Whose kids are they really? Oh, they're his kids. And who is he? Oh, he is the God that loves them more than I could ever dream of loving them. He's the God that has plans for them that will far exceed anything I could ever hope or imagine. He's the sovereign God that will not allow any plan to be thwarted. He is the God that can calm the wind and the waves just like that. Oh, okay, all right. I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to rest easy now. That's what courage looks like. It's really simple. When the world is chaotic and unpredictable and it never settles down. It never settles down. There's never going to be a stretch that you just think, okay, it's all calm now. You may have a calm season but y'all, I'm telling you, we are, every year we're closer to the end. And what does that mean? It means it gets hotter in the kitchen every year. It's hotter. It's harder. It's more complex. It's more difficult. Do you know over 40 million Americans battle with anxiety at a crippling level? And that's just 18 and over? That has skyrocketed. Those numbers are just getting higher. And so our Eden... Our heaven is never going to be here. This is a battlefield that we live in. And so how do I have simple courage in the midst of a chaotic world? I look up. I'm not exempt from the fear. I'm not going to come out unscathed. But he's got me and he's got you and he had Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat had to resolve to inquire of the Lord to inquire of the Lord. I read this quote from Charles Spurgeon that says, I like to plunge my hand into the promises and then I find myself able to grasp with a grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. An omnipotent plea with God is, do as thou hast said. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so anxious that he sweat drops of blood. And he said, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. That's a worthy prayer. Lord, remove this, deliver me from this, but nevertheless, thy will be done. Who says that? Somebody that's intimately acquainted with God. 
So tonight as we close, I just want you to ask yourself two questions. One is, what is the battle that you're facing right now? What would you define or name as the armies that are coming toward you? It could be emotional distress. It could be physical ailments. It could be relational distress. It could be, um, it could be all sorts of financial stress. It could be all sorts of things. What is that that's coming towards you? And I'm certain that it varies in degrees for us. Some of us are in full-blown crisis right now. But regardless, we all have stress. So what is it that's coming toward you? Name that tonight. And then when you look at that and you see it, what does courage look like in the face of that? Courage looks like, God, who are you? You are Yahweh. You are good and you are sovereign. And this is not a surprise to you. This has not caught you off guard. This doesn't have you waking up at night. You're sleeping soundly like a baby. You're resting easy. You've got it under control and you love me and you are with me. Courage is to believe the truth tonight. Let's do that together and tonight and then um, tomorrow we will, we will come back. I want to close. I did write this passage in Psalms down that I think is so helpful for me. It helps me remember where are my eyes, where are my eyes when fear is headed toward me. It says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun won't harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and he watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and you go, both now and forever. Jehoshaphat ended his prayer in verse 12. Oh, as he continues, I want to finish that. I skipped over that and I apologize. But he, he recounts who Yahweh is. And then he, after he reminds himself who God is, then he tells God what's happening just because he needs to get it out. He says, there's a vast army from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you wouldn't allow to invade Israel. But they've come uh, from Egypt, Lord. And it says they've turned away from, so they turned away from them and they did not destroy them. And see, see how they're repaying us. They're coming, Lord, to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. And here's what he says. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We have no power. Some of us, the best thing we can do is recognize the truth that you really don't have all the power. You really aren't in control. We have no power. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, I pray my children hear that prayer from me. We don't know what to do. No, we don't. But our eyes are on you. Where are your eyes in light of the battle that you're facing? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come tonight and we say thank you that you are a God that is faithful. You are a God that sees us. You are in control. You've not left us. And I'm just asking for all of my sisters in this room tonight 
those of us that are facing great battles, those of us that are facing stress, those of us that are facing whatever it is, Lord, you know in great detail what it is. And I'm asking on our behalf, Lord, remind us who you are. Remind us tonight that we serve a God that loves us, that gave himself up for us, that ransomed us back, that has called us by name. We are your children. You love us. You've not left us. And you are at work on our behalf. I pray tonight that we would sleep sweet tonight and come back tomorrow ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.